What's up, Solana Cove enjoyers? This is your host, Louis, and you're listening to Solana Cove, the unofficial Solana podcast where we go deep with the builders and creators who call Solana home. Today, I'm chatting with Ruta from Solend about his experience building a fantastic borrow lend experience on Solana and occasionally shitposting on Twitter. I hope you enjoy it. So I'm here today with Ruta from Solend. Uh, Ruta, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks for having me on. So if you could first just give us a bit of a background about how you came into crypto and how Solend started. Yeah, so initially in 2014 is when I first uh, bought my first Bitcoin. Um, and then later on in 2015, I actually sold all of it for Ether and was following Ethereum development since then, uh, kind of more on like the price action side. Um, but then in 2017, when that crazy bull run happened, uh, I left my job. I was working as a software engineer. Um, I left that to work full-time in crypto and for a couple of years was writing uh, Solidity smart contracts, uh, doing yeah a lot of stuff in, in the Ethereum space. Um, and I was also reading a lot of white papers, learning about the space. Um, and yeah, then if you fast forward to... Uh, last year in May, uh, that's when started working on Solend. Um, basically, yeah, we entered a hackathon, Solana season hackathon, and uh, built like the first prototype there. Realized that there's a ton of demand for this kind of thing, and also felt that we had a real shot at, uh, you know, winning the lending market on Solana. Uh, had a lot of confidence in our team and stuff. Um, and yeah, just executed from there and. Here we are today, we have a billion dollars in deposits uh, like five months after being live, which is really crazy. Um, and yeah, we're the, the largest lending protocol on Solana, which is pretty cool, claim to fame. I was actually wondering about that. So it's interesting that you were working for a while on the Ethereum side, because I did notice that a lot of the investors in Solend were actually, uh, or they seem to be from, from the Ethereum side. Um, so you had, you had quite a history on Ethereum prior to Solana. What, um, interested you in switching to Solana? Yeah. So, I mean, the gas fees on Ethereum were just getting really ridiculous, but I think as an early adopter of Ethereum, I, I think I noticed it a bit less because like my own holdings were inflated by the prices. So, uh, like my tolerance for fees grew as the, the prices grew, um, and really, it was just like, uh, I, I want to like try learning something new. And there are a lot of like uh, talk about L2s, um, but none of them were actually like production ready. So there was only like Polygon at the time. And then uh, like Phantom and Arbitrum hadn't launched yet. Optimism hadn't launched yet. Uh, there was Stark, Starkware uh, and there's like the Cairo stuff. And I spent some time reading the docs for that, but it was like super confusing. Um, and I was like, because uh, the DYDX team had built their thing using that, right? And I was like, how the hell did they like uh, figure this out? Like, this is so confusing. And then I talked to them and it turns out the Starkware team like actually helped them develop the smart contracts for it. It was like, oh, they didn't build it. Like they had the people who designed it build it. Um, right. Yeah. And then so it ended up like uh, entering the hackathon and, you know, uh, had to learn Rust, but it was pretty manageable. Um, and coming from Solidity, there definitely was like a learning curve 
especially given the differences in the Solana programming model. Um, but overall, it is quite manageable. Um, so yeah, I guess it's a combination of um, alternatives like scaling solutions not really being production ready, whereas Solana was like here today working. Um, and also just there was like a crazy amount of demand for Solana projects. Like, you know, we, we made our Twitter account and announced that we were doing this and we got like a couple of thousand followers basically overnight. And it was like, wow, this is crazy. Like if you start um, like, a, you know, ed tech company, you're not going to get that many, that much uh, interest right when you launch. Yeah, I also remember that period and <clears throat> there was so much excitement for a borrow lend because I I recall that Matic or Polygon, um, as soon as they got support from Aave and they had like a really vibrant borrow lend, it, it made such a difference to the, the usage of the network in general. So I, I do recall like there was a real there was real excitement also in Solana that we were urgently needing some 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 borrow lending options. Yeah, so the timing was quite perfect too. Like there, there was no um, leading bar lending protocol. There was Oxygen that had launched, but they only had like $5 million in deposits and their app was like super, super confusing. Um, like, yeah, unusable, even as, you know, someone who's used DeFi apps for like years uh, is like super hard to figure out. Um, and then, yeah, there were a ton of other competitors that we knew were working on this thing. Um, but it was like early enough that we felt, you know, if we execute quickly, get to market early uh, and execute well, then we can we can win. Yeah, right. I've got to ask, I'm a big fan of the design with Soland and also those um, black and white Im images. Is there any story behind that aesthetic? Yeah, it's actually super interesting. And you're the, the first person to ask about that. Um, so basically we worked with uh, VectorDAO. So uh, yeah, some of the people at VectorDAO are friends of mine and basically contracted them to uh, help us with the designs because they're yeah super talented uh, designers mm. and yeah this whole so we we had they presented us with two options one was this uh black and white kind of using this etching aesthetic uh and another one was like uh it was like a bit more colorful it had like green and it, it had like memes as part of the aesthetic um and the reason for choosing like both options, it was that because uh, our team early on was just engineers and actually still to this day, we don't have like a dedicated designer um, and using etchings, it's very easy to create uh, assets, whether it be for like a blog post or just design stuff like announcements. Um, and basically it, it makes it super easy that I myself can just Google like something, something etching uh, you know, put on a black background and add some, uh, you know, colorful orange patterns onto it. And like, that's the branding. So it's basically meant to be a self-serve for someone who's not like a designer to be able to, to make these things versus, you know, some companies, they have like custom, uh, images for every like blog post that they do. But yeah, since we want to be lean and not have a designer, uh, for like a little bit, that was the, yeah, that was the reasoning behind it. That's a little bit of secret sauce for anyone listening who, who doesn't have a designer. <laughs> yeah. um, okay, so let's, let's uh, set the stage a bit for people who are a bit newer to DeFi. Um, could you just outline sort of the basics of a, a borrow lend market? Yeah, so 
Yeah, Solen is a borrow lending protocol, as you mentioned. Basically, it's a platform which allows people to deposit their assets, their crypto assets, kind of like a bank. So you can deposit your ETH, Bitcoin, Sol, and earn interest. Uh, and then on the other side, you can borrow assets. Uh, so you can borrow any of the assets that are listed. But the thing about crypto is like everyone's pseudonymous and there's no like credit score or whatever. They can't, uh, you know, we, we don't have like a legal department that can like go after you if you don't pay back your loans or whatever. So uh, the way that these pooled lending borrow protocols work is you have to put up collateral that's worth more than the amount that you're borrowing, um, which always begs the question, why would I want to borrow if I already have money? Um, but there are actually a couple of reasons. One is like you can supply and borrow different assets, which lets you do a couple of interesting things. So let's say you have a bunch of soul and you don't want to sell it because you want to keep exposure to it. Or let's say like you don't want to sell it because that would be a taxable event and you don't want to realize taxes quite yet. Um, what you can do is deposit that into Solend, borrow USDC, and use that USDC for uh, expenses. Uh, and actually, recently someone told us they they bought a house with uh, using Solen. So they they had a bunch of Sol uh, borrowed USCC to to buy a house. Um, and some other interesting things you could do, or you could short any token that's listed. So the way that you would do that is, say you deposit USDC, and let's say you want to short like Sol, uh, you would borrow Sol and then sell it, um, and then later on you owe that denominated in Seoul, but if the price of Seoul goes down, you can like buy it back for cheaper and then pay off your loan. Um, and finally, the last thing you can do is go leverage long. So kind of the opposite of that, you would say deposit Seoul, borrow USDC, buy more Seoul. You can do it over and over again, such that you can have like, you know, 4X leverage uh, long position on Seoul. Uh, yeah, just for example. So a couple of different use cases. Um, yeah, there, there's some more as well, but more advanced, not going to go into them, but yeah, that's the gist of borrow lending. And, and for someone who sees say 9%, um, interest annually, um, on say a stable coin, what, what sort of risks should they consider before they're going into the, before they begin depositing? Yeah. So that 9% that you see is a variable interest rate. Um, so it's actually determined by the utilization of a pool and what that means is like how much of the pool is being borrowed so let's say like there's a hundred dollars of usdc in the pool in total and 80 of those usdc are borrowed then the utilization would be 80 percent and then we have this like uh fee uh function such that uh like if demand is higher the uh interest rate will go higher. And then if the demand is lower, interest rate will go lower. So one thing is like, yeah, it's a variable interest rate. So even though it says 9% today, it could be 10% tomorrow, or it could be like 6% tomorrow or a week from now. Um, so that's one thing. Um, and then other kinds of risks, there, there are many like types of risks and basically what's helpful is just to enumerate them. Um, so the one that's on everybody's minds is smart contract risk. So basically, uh, the code could get hacked, someone could get it to do something that's not intended and they can siphon money out. Um, another one would be like Oracle risk. So Solend relies heavily on Oracles 
in order to determine like what is the value of certain assets because um, yeah it needs to get that from somewhere and sometimes those oracles can have issues like they can misreport the price uh, you know they could be manipulated um, so lots of different attack vectors there um, <clears throat> I'd also say there's platform risk which is basically Solon is built on top of Solana and it inherits all of its technical benefits, but also detriments. So, you know, benefits, it's super fast, super cheap, but some of the downsides are like, uh, you know, it's a new, uh, newer blockchain and sometimes it has some growing pain. So uh, here and there, there'll be some network congestion issues in which um, you might have to, your, your transactions might not go through immediately. You might have to try them a couple of times. Um, and especially, like kind of recently, there was a bit of a market crash and it coincided with some network congestion. And that was definitely like, you know, not ideal for some users, especially those who had, uh, you know, they were borrowing some funds and they were getting close to liquidation, but then unable to repay their loans. Um, so yeah, that's something to consider. Like uh, the, the, the platform itself could have issues, um, you know, or, or like, Maybe the platform releases a major upgrade and it changes the way that some of the smart contracts work and it could potentially like in, introduce a smart contract vulnerability, right? Um, so there's a bit of like intermingled risk there. Um, yeah, so a couple, couple different kinds. Uh, I'd say those are the main ones, but of course there's like a bunch of all other like smaller risks. Um, well, actually one, one other interesting one, I call it like a bank run risk. Um, so it really only affects whales, but let's say you deposit like a hundred million dollars of USDC into Solend, um, then a bunch of people borrow that and the utilization say goes like 70, 80%. Then there isn't a hundred million dollars available for you to withdraw all at once anymore uh, because there's only, you know, if utilization is at 80%, there'd only be 20 mil in the pool. So you would have to pull out like just what's available and then the rates would go up due to the supply and demand stuff. So maybe the interest rates would jump to like, you know, 50% APY, uh, which would incentivize uh, borrowers to repay their loans and incentivizes uh, suppliers to deposit new money. And you would kind of have to like withdraw money slowly over time to, to get out of your position. Uh, so yeah, that's like an additional risk for whales, but most people don't really have to worry about that. Yeah, true. I never thought about that. Yeah, that everything is a bit different when you're lending hundreds of millions, I suppose. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, so we also have the Solend token, which went live, or I think it was a couple months ago. Um, but yeah, you have a better 3rd. memory of that. November third. Okay. So I believe that that was launched with a sort of IDO format. How has the token been going since since it went live? And I mean also like. Technically, has there been new um, new functionalities added for the token since it was going live? Yeah, so the IDO and token launch was huge and pivotal for uh, our protocol. So like we basically went from having $200 million in deposits to a billion, just like right when we launched. And then an hour later, we hit 2 billion. So it's just like insane growth and just skyrocketed to being the number one uh, lending protocol. Um, yeah, so in that IDO, we raised uh, like 26 million, um, which is now in the, the treasury. 
and we've used uh, some of that to LP. Uh, it's like protocol owned liquidity. So it's being LP'd in the Orca Solend USDC pool and also on Radium. Um, and yeah, so since then, the, you're asking about the token price. The token price is like down, uh, which, you know, like I think is a function of like the macro environment, like Sol itself is down uh, quite a bit since the time of the IDO as well. Um, and then, yeah, I guess in terms of functionality, um, we're working on uh, governance. So pretty soon you'll be able to use Solen to vote on various proposals. Um, one of which, which I think would be really interesting is choosing how to direct liquidity mining rewards. Um, so I think, yeah, some, some portion of it will be uh, up for debate about like, yeah, what, what assets to incentivize, which I think could be pretty interesting for, you know, other protocols that would be potentially competing about uh, voting for their own, their own tokens to receive incentive. Um, we also have Solen staking live. Um, so basically you can deposit Solend the token onto Solend the platform and it's enabled as like a, an asset, just like any other. So you can use that as collateral, earn interest, you could borrow it, borrow it against it. Um, but in addition, like some of the, uh, liquidity mining programs emissions are going to the Solen token depositors. So essentially, yeah, you can stake it and get uh, currently 18% APY, which is pretty cool. So you mentioned that you have a sort of protocol owned liquidity set up on Orca. So that, does that mean that a large chunk of that pool is actually owned by, by the protocol? Yeah, I'd say last time I checked, it was about 90% of that pool was owned by the protocol. Yeah. Similar numbers on Radium. Yeah. Okay, cool. And with the, the staking, is anything being done with the, the staked assets or it's just a way of like having users lock up, lock up the assets and earn rewards? Yeah, it's just a way of uh, locking up assets for now. But in mm -hmm. the future, like there's a lot of uh, interesting stuff going on with like the VE, like vested equity model, like uh, or, wait, no, vested escrow. Right. I forget what it stands for. Um, I also don't but, know, you know actually, like, to be honest. <laughs> the VE CRV and everyone's changing their Twitter names to like VE you know, VE router, whatever. Um, yeah, I think that kind of staking model is interesting. Um, also, another one uh, that Ave is doing is like you can stake your tokens and earn uh, yield, but then your stake tokens are acting as insurance for the protocol to cover any any losses. Um, so that's a, another interesting one that, yeah, we're going to explore this a little bit more later on um, after, you know, shipping the things on our plate and uh yeah try to figure out like what's the the best uh utility there yeah with with tribeca going live recently um and i think that quarry just went live with like gauges um so it seems like the way it's being implemented on solana will actually make it really fairly straightforward for many projects to implement that that kind of functionality yeah yeah that'll be pretty cool um, you mentioned that you have some other things on your plate and I was just checking uh, the Solan Twitter recently and I saw that there's a new feature coming out called isolated lending. Would you care sharing about that? Yeah, so basically there's isolated lending and then there's cross-collateral lending and cross-collateral lending is what you see right now if you go to Solan. It's also what you see if you go to uh, Compound or Aave. Uh, basically you have a bunch of assets 
anything can be used as collateral to borrow anything else. So every permutation uh, combination of pairs is possible. Um, and the, the problem with a cross-collateral pool is basically every asset in there is a liability security-wise because um, you could imagine a scenario where there's a coin that has, say, like uh, unsecured min minting functionality, which would let an attacker like mint an infinite amount of those tokens. Um, they could, yeah, mint an infinite amount, deposit it into Solend, and then borrow all of the liquidity with no intention to pay it back. Um, and th this could also be done alternatively by like manipulating the Oracle feed to be super high or or super low and like force liquidations um, and whatnot. So yeah, there's there's a lot of like risks involved in having assets and we have to be very careful about what we list. So anytime before we list an asset, we conduct due diligence. Um, we'll talk to a team, understand their uh, OPSEC around any any like important keys that might affect uh, the the protocol or the token itself. Um, and then we also require the, the token to have good enough liquidity for liquidations to occur. Because basically, if there would be like 10% slippage when trying to liquidate like $1,000 worth of tokens, um, that would be really bad because, yeah, you wouldn't be able to offload the, the bad debt. So, yeah, we have like a minimum amount of liquidity uh, that we look for before we can list things. And yeah, so bringing it back to isolated pools, basically an isolated pool is like a separate uh, market, which we can have a different set of assets listed. And that way we can, it's kind of like a sandbox environment or a quarantine for risky assets. We can list something super risky and then, uh, you know, it'd be flagged as such. And users that want to take on that risk, you know, there might be like higher APYs or it's like uh, a token that isn't available anywhere else. Um, so they can opt into that risk, uh, without like putting the entire protocol TVL at risk. So like, you know, we have like $600 million of TVL, uh, in the cross collateral pool and we don't want to put that at risk, but like in a separate pool, maybe there's only like $500,000, uh, and, and all the people who are in it have signed up for that level of risk basically. So yeah, isolated lending or isolated pools let us list a bunch of tokens. And it also lets us um, play around with the risk parameters. So like the loan to value ratio on our assets in the cross collateral pool are quite conservative. So for example, for Sol, you can only borrow up to 75% of the value of the Sol that you have deposited. Um, and that's to make sure that, you know, we don't have underwater liquidations if Sol crashes, uh, which it, it can, right? It's pretty volatile. But in isolated pool, we could have, and we're, we're planning to launch like a turbo soul pool, basically, where the only assets listed are soul and USCC, but they would have like a 95% uh, ratio, meaning essentially you can get like 20x leverage on it. Um, and then if, you know, anything bad happens, it's isolated to that, uh, to that pool. So it means, say, some, uh, like a dog coin that wants to be able to be lent and borrowed, they can have an isolated um, an isolated lending pool and it means that if I'm like borrowing uh, or like if I'm you know leveraging up on that that dog coin it doesn't give me any any benefit in like borrowing more of the the assets that are inside the the standard pools um, yeah yeah that makes a lot of sense and would would you see a future where the the pools would be permissionless for projects to just 
create themselves or would you would you still see like the, the core team curating that yeah you hit that uh nail right on the head like that's exactly what we want to do I, I view isolated pools as just a stepping stone to the true goal which is permissionlessness um which i think is super exciting uh, and yeah you, you you mentioned like the curation which is uh quite key so like uh you know the protocol that i would say really embraced permissionlessness the most is Uniswap on Ethereum, where, you know, anyone can list their own token. Uh, one of the issues with it is like, some of those tokens are scams, like maybe they have the same ticker or something else, or maybe they're a straight up scam where you can only buy it, but you can't sell it because it like errors every time you try to sell. Um, and they have to, uh, you know, if you, if you use an unsupported token, that's not part of the like main token list, you have to, you know, click a checkbox. I certify that I'm, you know, okay with this level of risk, whatever. So, yeah, we would basically have a combination. Like, we would have some curated pools where the LTVs are managed by us and they're like somewhat reasonable. You know, like 95% uh, loan to value ratio is high, but it's, uh, you know, 20x leverage, but it's not like 100x, which we probably would not uh, endorse. Um, well, yeah, definitely wouldn't. Um, yeah, and then permissionless pools, I think is super exciting. Like any protocol can just launch their own pool. They don't have to wait until their token has, you know, really good liquidity, uh, by which time it's like, uh, I don't know, maybe too late for some interesting new like mechanisms, right? So yeah, I think that'll be really cool. Yeah, for sure. It's always nice to have that option, I think for new teams that they don't need to I mean, that's the whole, a lot of the ideas about crypto is, is making it more permissionless. So that's, that's definitely exciting. Will be exciting to see how it, how it pans out. Cause I'm, I'm pretty sure that the permissionless pools are not available on any, um, borrow land on Solana. Yeah. Yeah. It's not, it hasn't come to Solana yet. So we'll, yeah, probably be the first. And is there any other plans on the Solan side for um, how you'd like to be innovating the borrow land on Solana? For example, one thing on my mind is, um, is like mobile uh, sort of getting with phantom around the corner um on mobile i'm wondering if if teams are sort of going to be pushing more on the mobile side hmm. yeah so since the start we made sure that our app was usable on mobile and part of it was you know the ethereum audience is a bunch of like uh you know you have to be pretty wealthy to to use the ethereum chain deposit costs like 100 200 us um, on Solana, it's so much cheaper, and we figured a lot of users would be accessing it through mobile. Had also talked to the Orca team really early on in development, and they mentioned that like 60 to 70 percent of their traffic came from mobile, which was really surprising to me. Actually, I thought like, because I only use crypto stuff like desktop usually. I don't really, you know, want to manage my money on on my phone, but some people do. Um, so yeah, we always made sure that it, it was responsive and worked on mobile. Uh, although at the time only Solit wallet would work, which is now kind of deprecated. Um, and yeah, with Phantom around the corner, we made some tweaks to our mobile site to uh, make it even better. Um, and yeah, plan to continue catering to the audience. Um, yeah, so that that's definitely a, a big one, especially because like there's so many new users in other parts of the world, you know, outside of the uh the west that are starting to get into crypto and yeah they're all they've all like leapfrogged computers they're just using mobile yeah absolutely i'm 
really excited to see what effect um, having a really, really solid um, mobile app with Phantom is going to have because I think Phantom has also been a big part of Solana's success and now that bring, bringing that experience to the mobile will be, yeah, will be interesting. I haven't had a chance to play around with the mobile version yet, but hoping too soon. Um, I'd love to also hear your thoughts because you mentioned earlier about uh, protocol-owned liquidity. Um, on your thoughts on the whole Ohm fork um, Invictus topics, because I feel like I've seen that mentioned a bit on, on Twitter in regards to Solend. Yeah. yeah, so basically the idea there was like protocol-owned liquidity is this uh, idea that's gotten a lot of traction. And I was thinking about what does protocol own liquidity for a lending protocol look like? Because most of these uh, protocol own liquidity projects, the liquidity that they own is <clears throat> their own LP tokens, um, which is good. And, you know, we want that as well. We want to improve the, the liquidity of the Solon token. But, you know, as a lending protocol, you know, what, what would that look like? And basically, uh, the, the idea that we're quite interested in is what if um, fees from the platform go back into Solend, deposited like through the treasury. And it does a couple of things. Uh, number one, you would earn interest on those assets. So not just idle sitting around because they're uh, yeah, being lent out, earning interest. Number two, it kind of acts as like insurance for the protocol. Because basically if there's an underwater liquidation that occurs, uh, what would happen is there's like fewer assets in the pool than uh, you know, assets that they're supposed to be for all the depositors. And what happens is everyone can withdraw except the last people, and then they just their withdrawal would just get stuck because there's not enough funds left. Um, but with protocol-owned liquidity there, it's kind of like a, you know, they would be the last withdrawer. So basically the, the protocol would take on uh, risk for um, underwater liquidations. Yeah. And then we're also talking to Invictus about uh, launching like a trial using their uh, like Flare is what it's called. Um, basically like doing the, the whole bonds thing. Um, so yeah, we're going to test that out, see how that goes. And you know, if it, if it goes well, then we'll continue uh, and double down on it. But yeah, I think that'll be pretty interesting as well. Yeah, that's a really, I like that idea. That's a really interesting idea that the fees are then being put back into the system um, and having that dual effect of, of sort of being the last last guarantor plus earning additional yield or additional returns makes a lot of sense. You were talking a bit earlier about the, the recent issues we've had on Solana uh, with some congestion. How has the experience been building on Solana? What were the strongest pros and cons for you? Yeah, so... Starting out, there's definitely a bit of a learning curve, especially coming from Ethereum. But, you know, everyone on the team is pretty smart and they were all able to ramp up pretty quickly and it wasn't bad. And actually, I, I thought the development experience was actually quite similar. Like there's a, uh, if you're used to using like Web3.js, which is this library for uh, interacting with the blockchain from the, the client, from the browser, uh, Solana is something super similar. It's also called like, you know, it's Solana Web3.js. Um, so it, it feels like the same developing, especially like front ends. Um, and then, you know, you inherit all the, all the strengths of Solana. So it's like, yeah, really fast and really cheap, which 
is really amazing. Like every time I use Ethereum now, I'm like, wow, why am I doing this? Why am I spending a hundred dollars just to like move funds around? And it's crazy to me that I ever did it before. And and also just like no more waiting around on MetaMask for like minutes because I don't know, maybe you want to try saving $20 to use a slightly lower gas fee, but then you end up waiting for like 10 minutes. And you're like, ah, oh, that was a mistake. Or, or just when your transaction doesn't go through and then you, you speed up and then like, oh man, yeah. the whole, that whole experience is, is yeah, truly like, I think it, it is obviously people complain about it a lot on Twitter, but it, it really is like a really bad experience. Um, especially yeah. if you're new to the, new to the system and you're starting buying ETH at the current prices. Yeah, so Solana, obviously so much better. Also like Phantom is just infinitely better than MetaMask. And I think that makes a big difference because you know you would use every dApp with MetaMask, which severely limits like how good of an experience you can have when, when it just sucks, right? Um, but on, on Solana, everyone's using Phantom mostly. And yeah, they've just, it, it's so clean and it just works all the time, so. Yeah, that, that's really good. And then I guess in terms of cons, yeah, we mentioned the, the congestion issues, which um, those are very tricky what, what to do with them because there's not so much that we can do about them. Um, we just have to, you know, support the Solana team and uh, hope that, you know, they're able to improve their systems. Um, and actually, I guess like as a large protocol on Solana, there's some things that we can do to help reduce the load because like some of the congestion uh, we know happens due to like radium IDOs because there's like a ton of traffic suddenly. But also Solana actually contributes to it because um, sometimes there are accounts that are liquidatable or maybe they're on the verge of being liquidated. And what liquidators will do is they'll just spam the network with like a ton of transactions trying to be the first one to liquidate. and you know, if it doesn't go through, they lose like, you know, a fraction of a cent, whatever. But it's actually a little bit expensive for the validators to run those transactions because they need to uh, like compile the code and, you know, execute everything. So th there's a bit of like a, a mismatch there. And maybe there's some things that we can do on our side to like disgorge that kind of spamming. I don't really know how off the top, but, you know, definitely an area of exploration for us. Yeah. And then we also have to just figure out ways to like, communicate better uh, like right now if the network is congested and the transaction fails sometimes we just show like a an error code like 0x2a which is you know it's code for stale oracle or oracle price like yeah not being updated recently um, and yeah it's pretty frustrating for users to just see like a hex code so you know maybe we can't like fix the issue but at least if we tell them like oh like this, this is what happened, you know, try again later. That could help. Something I haven't touched on so far is what I've learned on Twitter in the last couple months or last few months is that you're, a, you're quite a spicy tweeter. Um, I think <laughs> you, you tweet that you're something like you're, you're shitposting half the time or um, so it's, it's split between alpha and shitposts. Um, so I'd love to have a little fun question to finish up here. Um, I'd love to hear, so what are your predictions for Solana in 2022? Let's see. Yeah, so there's the, the shit coin route or there's like the, the or sorry, the, the shit post route or the legit route. I think you can take both. <laughs> 
Yeah, maybe you're referring to my my tweet where I, I put out some some predictions. Let me try to find that one actually. Yeah, you know, it's a lot easier to tweet these things when you're just like uh, <laughs> behind it. <laughs> yeah. Well, okay. So one which is kind of funny. So like, I think crypto really suffers from like over promising and under delivering, right? Uh, and there's that meme of like the the horse where it's like the head of the horse looks like super detailed and then the back is just like a stick figure horse drawn. Mm -hmm. um, like we saw this with Ethereum, which was supposed to launch ETH 2.0 and staking in like 2016 or something. And it's been like years and years and years. And it's it's always like around the, just around the corner, but it never actually come. Um, yeah, I think in Solana, there's some stuff like that. Um, <laughs> So like, uh, and I, I really hope it's not the case because I think um, this would be really huge for the Solana ecosystem. But basically, uh, EVM compatibility is something that's been talked about for what feels like a while now. Um, and yeah, I think it'd be quite big for the Solana ecosystem because it would just unlock so many developers uh, and there's so much open source code that already works. Um, but yeah, it's one of those things that the, the light at the end of the tunnel don't know don't know when it's going to come. So, yeah, I, I do hope it'll, it launches this year. Um, but that was kind of like my my uh, joke is just you know, joking about things with some, some level of truth. Um, yeah, and then I guess, yeah, another one that I had there was like Solon token stops dumping. So, like, yeah, the, the price has been down, which, you know, it's unfortunate. We get a lot of, like, hate in our in our uh, Discord or, like, community. Uh, from our community on Twitter sometimes, which I, you know, I don't think it's like the, it's not like the real like supportive community members that we want to, you know, cater to, but you know, sometimes I'll check notifications just like devs do something. Uh, but yeah, I mean the, the whole market is just down. So that's part of it. But uh, yeah, I mean, we, I think in large part it's due to our liquidity mining program since basically there's a lot of emissions, which, uh, causes a lot of sell pressure um but we're actually planning to change that with liquidity mining 2.0 uh, and actually this has been the plan bef since before launching and actually initially we wanted to launch with that as like the only version of liquidity mining that we had but we ended up wanting to get to market quickly and just uh, decided to backload that work but basically it's uh paying out uh call options rather than giving out tokens directly so there would be a strike price that uh, farmers would have to pay in order to actually get the token. And this would better align incentives with the protocol rather than having what we have now, which is a lot of mercenary capital that's just here to farm. And your prediction is that this will release in 2022? Yeah. Nice. Okay, looking forward to that. Cool. Um, all right, Ruda, it's been a real pleasure to chat with you and hear what's going on at Solend. Uh, for the folks who have not somehow already interacted with Solend, um, I can personally recommend following you on Twitter. Um, it's been worth it for me. I've got some good laughs out of that. And maybe you could just share like where folks can learn more about Solend, uh, where the best place to engage with the community is. Yeah, it's uh, yeah. so solend.fi is our website. And then we have a Discord. And we, we do not have a Telegram, so don't don't go looking for one. Uh, I, I just I think Discord is just so much better, and I'd also don't want to you know be in so many different places. So yeah, no Telegram, just Discord. Uh, 
and yeah, we have a bunch of CMs that will help answer any question that you have and they're online, like any time of the day uh, and they'll respond in like five minutes basically. So yeah, go there anytime you have questions and they'll help you out. Awesome. All right. Thanks so much for coming on. Looking forward to the isolated pools and what's to come after that and wishing you and the team good luck uh, going into 2022. Thank you. And thanks for having me on. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you liked it, make sure you subscribe to the podcast on your favorite app right now. For extra points, follow us on Twitter at Solana Cove. A reminder, anything said on Solana Cove is not financial or tax advice. Solana Cove is strictly educational and is not investment advice. Keep in mind you and you alone are responsible for your assets and always do your own research.